and women are making tremendous strides in making more financial household decisions. They're becoming more financially savvy. They're making more money. They're joining boardrooms at an increasing rate, the C-suite level at an increasing rate. So there's a lot of potential there for women, right? Like I say all the time, man, women are really poised to take center stage in this space. But a lot of times they're like, well, what's next? Like, what do I do? From CEO School, it's Wine Down Wednesday. Pour yourself a drink and join us for CEO Happy Hour as we share the messy behind the scenes, straight talk, and real world advice to help you level up in leadership and life. Cheers. This episode is sponsored by The Club, a quarterly box and digital monthly community to help you level up in leadership and life. Learn more today at join.theceoschool.co slash the club. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's Wind Down Wednesday. This is your host, Sanero Madani, and today we are talking money. I am sitting today with Bernadette Curvin from Gambin Financial Group. Bernadette was a former LPGA tour player. So she was a professional golfer with 10 years of experience in the financial service industry. She took her experience from the golf course into the boardroom and into financial services. And so we're so excited to welcome Bernadette to the show. She is a dear friend here from Orlando. She has won numerous awards for all of the things that she's working on, not only for her financial group as a financial advisor, but specifically around her mission on helping women achieve financial freedom. And so Bernadette, welcome to CEO School. Thank you, Samira. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited to talk to not only to you, but I'm so excited to talk about money. Money is a subject that we are so shameful about talking about. We don't, we're not supposed to talk about money. We're not supposed to talk about our, our wealth. We're not supposed to talk about our salaries. We're not talking about how money comes or what it is. Money is always deemed to be a topic that's so taboo. And part of our mission here at CEO School is to create financial freedom for whatever that looks like, whether you are a working professional, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you are neither, and you want to create a financial secure future for yourself. And so talking about money is something that we are very excited about doing. And on today's episode, I want to talk about the gap in women's wealth. I want to talk about the things that you're doing to help in that and how we're going to change the statistic for women to grow financially more secure. So Bernadette, welcome. I'm so excited to talk about money. Same, same. So tell me a little bit about your background. Um, I know that you were a pro golfer. Um, Tell us a little bit how you've just been in male dominated fields. I I really have. Um, So I was born in Gainesville, Florida. We moved to Orlando when I was eight years old. So I consider myself an Orlando native. Went to Trinity Prep High School where my mom taught high school math. So I had my mom for three or four years of high school math, which was torturous. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, math was ingrained in my brain from a very early age. My dad was a college English teacher. So I came from two educators and it was, you're expected to go to school and make really good grades. And then you go to college and you get a degree and then you get a really good job. Well, at about 12, 13 years old, I had been dancing ballet for my whole life, but loved sports and being outside. And my dad bought me this little set of golf clubs that he cut down for me and took me to the driving range. And I had this natural affinity for golf. I just picked it up very quickly and 
the summer before my sophomore year of high school, I entered into some local junior tournaments and found some success, won a couple, finished second. Just, just found some success in golf, you know, just like in high school, just like winning a few tournaments here and there. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't that easy. But um, yeah, I just decided at that moment in time, I wanted to quit everything else I was doing. I quit playing piano, I quit ballet, and I dedicated my whole life to playing golf. And I did, I grew up at old Orlando golf clubs, playing in the men's skins games, playing with my dad every day. Uh, so I think that from a very young age, I was just used to being around guys. It didn't like necessarily boost my self-confidence or self-esteem. I just was used to being around them, you know, and um, I come from a, a very strict Catholic family. So you speak when you're spoken to and we go to church every Sunday. And so, you know, it was just, it was, it took me a little while to navigate through some of that. But, um, you know, I look back to and think I just have so many wonderful memories playing golf with my dad every single day. You know, it's like you, not a lot of people get to do that and build that kind of relationship with their family. So I played in high school, went on to play four years at the University of Mississippi and then played three years professionally on the LPGA tour. And um, it was what I thought I was gonna do for my whole life. I, I majored in the easiest thing I could think of in college so that I could just- Which was what? That. What is the easiest thing to major in in college? In psychology. Okay, I don't think that's easy at all. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It just like it clicked with me. I had because I went to a preparatory high school, I had so many credits going into college that I breezed through those first couple of years. Um, and psychology just clicked with me. I don't know. It just did. And I psychology uh, and golf. And then I, I kind of want to take a pause here to talk about your golf career, if you don't mind, before we move into the money talk. I I am just, uh, God, I love when we get an athlete onto the show. Cause it's, it's really, um, it's rare and, uh, it's so amazing to see your success in such a male dominated, like in just like, in a, a competitive sport, um, individual sport, but male dominated sport. Can you talk us through some of the things that were going on? Like you said, you quit ballet and piano, right? Like that is like such like a juxtaposition of, after school activities from quitting ballet into going into the golf course. Can you talk us through some, some of like your early memories of, of, you know, of what was happening for you as like, as a woman or as you were growing into a woman and trying to like really loving the sport? Yeah. So I just, I don't know, I started ballet, like my mom put me in ballet when I was three years old and it just was something that stuck with me for a really long time. My sister was also really into it. So we did it together. But I always had this, that I was the outdoor tomboy as a kid. My sister was inside playing with Barbies and playing dressed up. I just always had this affinity for being outdoors. And so I dabbled in some sports here or there, but for whatever reason, ballet and piano just were the things that stuck with us as a family. Which you is know, really funny because I actually just enrolled Mila and she's starting ballet in a couple of weeks when school starts, she's going to kindergarten and she just had her first, she just met like a piano instructor to see if like they like each other, if like she, she wants to, cause I want to give her like trial classes to be like, I don't want to force her into anything, but those were the two things that she picked. I asked her all of the things that she wanted to do. I gave her options for soccer, for karate. And I definitely have a girly girl on my hand and I'm like, what about karate? Let's do karate. And she wanted to pick ballet and I support, like, I want her to try whatever she's excited about. Um, that's funny. Okay. So you're, you're doing ballet. Yeah. And so I think, you know, the great thing about ballet, piano, any one of those disciplines is you learn how to work. 
you learn how to self-regulate, self-discipline, things that you have to sacrifice in order to be good at something else, if you have that desire to improve, and I did. I, I think just from a very early age, I've had this internal desire to like be the best at whatever I did. Um, so it was just, I don't know, it's hard to describe scenario. It was just one of those light bulb moments when I started playing golf where it just felt right. Like it just felt like the piece of my life that was missing. And so I remembered the drive home from ballet with my mom one night and I said, mom, I don't want to do ballet anymore. I want to play golf. What was her reaction? She was like, okay, sweetie, you know, if that's what you want to do, then you have to tell your ballet teacher. Oh my God, that's vicious. (laughs) She was like, if I fully support this decision, but you're the one that has to tell her. And I was like, okay. And so I told them. Hard conversations, hard. We just talked about hard conversations on, on the last wind down Wednesday and hard conversations are hard. That is difficult, especially as a kid to have that hard conversation to say, I'm quitting. Yeah. Yeah, I just, at 13, probably really stumbled through it, but. Yeah. But no, I said. Good for your mom. Yeah, my mom is an amazing woman. Um, so quit ballet, started into golf. And it was one of those things that my dad, because my dad was the golfer and he taught me everything that I know about golf. But he said, like, if this is what you're going to do, this is what you're going to do. There's no more water skiing during the summer. There's no more spring break trips with friends. You dedicate your life to this if you really want to be successful at it. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And so from the time that I decided to make that decision, I was a sophomore in high school. Every single day I was at the golf course with my dad after school until the lights were shut off. And I worked my way two short years into a college scholarship at the University of Mississippi, um, which is was... Uh, to this day, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I actually did that. And then I played for four years at Ole Miss and it was probably my junior year. I don't know what it is about like those last couple of years for me, <laughs> but it was like in that moment in my, the summer before my junior year, I said, I want to play, I want to be a professional, you know, like my first goal was college golf. And then once I got to college and I experienced, you know, the SEC division one competition, I wanted to beat every single girl out there and I wanted to play professional golf. And so yeah, I was living, breathing, eating, sleeping, golf. That's incredible. Yeah, and then my dream came true in 2005, 2004, and played my rookie year on the LPGA Tour and, you know, had three mediocre years, but I, you know, I get to say that I played on tour. (laughs) I'm sure they weren't mediocre, and that's incredible. It's an accomplishment that most athletes, to get to the highest level to play pro is such an accomplishment that I have goosebumps right now, just listening to that story. And I'm sure the ladies listening are, we're all super proud of you. I think it's so badass that you got to play at your, playing the sport and playing it at the highest level does require that level of dedication. I'm not an athlete, um, in any sport. And I almost feel like business is my sport and, uh, trying to get to the next level in business, it requires so much dedication and time. And so this is my sport and kudos to the athletes that have to literally work tirelessly and to your parents who have to also dedicate that amount of time to the sport of the choosing of their children. I mean, it takes a, it takes a whole family to actually support that dream. And so that is incredible. So before we like move on, I did want to acknowledge that because that is so amazing. And we could just end the episode here, but we're here to talk about money and now you're the money expert. How did that happen? 
man, I, if you had told me 15 years ago that I would be the CEO and partner at a financial planning firm, I would have laughed in your face. So I still Same. told me that I was going to run it. I, w- I did not think I was going to be in financial services at whatever point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had a really interesting experience through professional golf in that, yes, I made it and I played at a super high level, um, but I was so unequipped, the business part of that world, financially speaking. I mean, mm-hmm. I came from, from two teachers as parents. We did not have a lot of money. My dad was bartering existing golf clubs for new golf clubs for me. You know, he was working at a golf course part-time on the side to, so that I could play for free and practice for free. My mom was working two and a half jobs to support me traveling around the country playing in tournaments. So it just, money was never, I was very aware that we didn't have a lot of it. I knew my parents worked really hard to provide for us what we had, but there was never a whole lot of like, okay, here's how you work and save and invest because they just were never able to really do that, that it was paycheck to paycheck. So I went into professional golf and I was fortunate enough to have some very generous sponsors my first year on tour. But then after that, you know, I I was out on my own and I went into some significant credit card debt, just trying to pay for flights and, you know, eat (laughs) between golf tournaments. And so I came out of professional golf with a pretty hefty burden of this credit card debt. And that turned into me trying to consolidate debt into a loan through a bank to try and pay it all off. And it man, it was, it was years of just this monkey on my back of credit card debt that I couldn't seem to get out of no matter how hard I worked, no matter how hard I saved. Uh, and it was a tremendous lesson for me, like a growing up lesson financially. So fast forward a few years and I was, I was running a cosmetology school at the time and I got offered a position with my previous firm now as a financial advisor. And the guy that recruited me into the business said, you play professional sports, you're from Orlando and have a great network, you're going to do great. And I was like, okay, great, sure, let's go, let's go give this a try. And so not that. having any experience in actually doing it, is that how is that how this works? <laughs> it can be. It wow. Can be. Yeah. So you know the the industry is evolving. I think we're coming into a much better place in how we bring people into our industry now. But um, at the time, back in two thousand and eight, you know, perfect time to enter the financial services industry when we're in the middle of a financial crisis. But. Um, Yeah, you went and found people that had success in something, that had a work ethic and drive, and you said, here's a phone book, call on everybody you know, and cold call people to try and sell life insurance. And so that's where I started my career, and I failed miserably six months into the business because I had no idea what I was doing. And from there, I kind of took a step back and evaluated you know, what I was doing and why was I doing it, and um, I... I then went to work for a financial planner here locally in town who was a a great mentor. She had built a practice and business over many years and taught me a lot about the industry that I had just never been taught before. So from there, you know, my career evolved a little bit. I went back more into training and development of advisors once I had spent a few years getting my feet wet, learning the business. Um, And then in 2017, my now business partner and I formally came together 
and um, I bought equity in the business and here we are today. And so many learnings along the way, but I think I, I had such a, a difficult time with money growing up and then coming out of golf and having to get out of that debt. Like it just really showed me how little education is, is out there specifically for women. I just knew that I could work hard enough to get through it all. But um, today is truly what fuels me to help my clients. Um, and now in, in particular with our Women in Wealth Initiative, you know, it's it's a lot of my background of, of where I struggled and how I grew in that space to bring it to other women so they don't have to struggle through it the way that I did. I love it. It's such a beautiful story. And I really appreciate the vulnerability and you talking about this. Because I think so many of us can relate to that. And especially when you talked about being in financial debt and credit card debt, I mean, we've all been there and having that, when you talked about it, it's like the monkey on your back and it's like never goes away. How did you, you know, what are some tips that you have for women that might be listening that are in that position today with, with this debt? How do you go about even thinking about, because one of the gaps that we have is it's not only about thinking about our wealth of the future. But when we're in debt today, we, we don't even, we can't even think about investing or saving when we can't get that monkey off of our back. So how does one um, kind of go about thinking about their financial wealth, wherever they are? And let's start with the debt cycle first. So that's a, that's a tough one. And we have a lot of conversations with clients around that. But my advice for people right off the gate or the question that I ask all the time is, do you know what's coming in and what's going out every single month? Do you have a real handle on your budget? Do you understand your cash flow? And if they don't, then we start there with helping them create budgets. And because a lot of times people say, oh yeah, no, I live on X amount of dollars a month, where really they're spending another thousand dollars a month on just miscellaneous stuff, fun, fun money, you know, life. Um, and we have to really hold the mirror up and say, is that where those dollars should be going? Those discretionary dollars that we do have, it's gonna hurt for a while, but we need to focus on taking those dollars and paying off these debts. And we start with the ones with the highest interest rates. And um, then we look at, you know, the credit cards or whatever it is that we do have. Do we have the opportunity to roll balances into another one that's got a lower interest rate? So um, yeah, I think the place to start with is you have to take ownership of your money. You need to know what's hitting your bank account every two weeks or every month, depending on how you get paid. You need to know where you're spending your money and you need to audit that on a monthly basis just so that you need to run your financial life like you're running a business. Yes, absolutely. And it's so difficult, right? I think sometimes uh, we're just caught up in all of the things that we know it, but actually sitting, sitting time, taking the time to sit down and like understand at whatever level you're at right now, even I would say even for, you know, anyone that is even successful or doesn't feel like they need to go monitor their budget. Um, it's so important. My husband and I utilize mint.com like there's this is not a promo for mint.com we just use mint.com as like what we end up using but that's a good way for us to kind of utilize some tool are there some tools that you you recommend for somebody to just sit down and i think you maybe even just pen to paper like know your numbers is so important but are there some tools that they can do to kind of just take a look at where they're at in budgeting and then something on the debt consolidation side because there's that can be so scary of knowing like how do you actually balance that so any tool recommendations yeah, so I would have a 
kind of a high level budget spreadsheet calculator. We have one that we share with our clients all the time that just helps them think through line items that they may not normally think through. But mint.com is one I recommend to people all the time. It's super user friendly. Um, and gives you, I mean, you can look at something in the moment of where your money is going and how cash flow is happening and impact to balances. So I think Mint.com is a great place. If you have a financial advisor relationship already, they may have their own uh, software tool. Um, I, I know we do, we have one through our website that allows people to aggregate all of their accounts into one place, investments, insurances, um, bank accounts. So you can use, see everything all in one place and you know do your balances each month. So yeah, I'd say mint.com, talk to your, your current advisor, but also a lot of banks now, you know, Chase has a fairly good um, you know, monthly accounting or a daily accounting system for cash flows. So know your numbers and then perhaps utilizing a tool to really just stick on track on budget. What about yeah. investing, right? Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I know it's like not the most exciting thing to do. You know, this, this is what I do for a living every day. So I come to my husband once a month and I'm like, all right, Amazon, this this was a significant line item on our budget this month and we need to cool it. And it's funny that you're on the opposite side of telling your husband. I've seen all the, the husband memes where the, the wife's dropping away and you're going to your husband. I love that. Get the power back. No, my, my husband said to me recently, he's like, I know we have money. I just don't know where it is all the time. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I got it. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he and I also do little quarterly challenges here and there as well, where we'll say, hey, let's challenge each other. You know, in this next quarter, one month, we're not going to make big purchases. Like we're going to put a kind of not a total spending freeze on, but like, hey, let's just see, challenge ourselves this month to see if we can stop doing some of those just needless spends. Um, or, hey, this quarter, I wanna save an additional X amount of dollars above and beyond what we normally save. And it becomes a little more fun, if you will, when you can kind of have an accountability partner there, somebody who's challenged, that like you've got a little challenge put out there that they're gonna know because he gets an alert on his phone every time I spend money. So they're gonna know like, hey, you said we weren't going to do that, you know, let's, let's reel that back in. So I think that's kind of a fun way to go about it too, is see if you can on a quarterly basis, sit down and maybe create a little uh, challenge for yourself. I love that. It's such a great idea. And uh, we're actually going to be doing a challenge inside of the club more on making money, but I love this idea of saving money as well. So I love the challenge. I love that you have the power with your husband. I think it's so badass. Um, so more power to that. So getting, knowing your numbers, getting a tool in place to actually track that and then having accountability system, what could be your partner um, or whatever that looks like. And I love the idea of challenges. Let's change the topic into making money and investing. You know, there are so many different, I think this is one of the things that also holds us back is that you shared a statistic with me earlier on to the show that in 10 years, women are going to control $30 trillion worth of the spend from baby boomers. And that statistic, I mean, we're controlling the wealth but we're actually behind on the investment side. We're behind on that, that wealth actually generating into our own pocketbooks. And so how do we you know, step out of this and start creating and start investing or start growing our wealth? So if you have some tips for us, because sometimes I feel like that part can be scary. We feel like we have to have it all figured out and our money needs to be, we, we have debt or we have all this stuff, but actually, even if you are in debt, there are ways that you can actually start investing into your future. 
So we can talk about some of the different investment areas um, to make this a little less scary. Because I wish I started investing right out of college, like or right out of my first paycheck. Like I never was taught different ways of investing. I was taught about savings. I was taught about budget. I was taught, about, I, I knew about numbers, but I didn't know that my money could make money. And so Bernadette, let's talk about making money. Yeah, I, I think you hit on a really important topic there. Women are making tremendous strides um, in making more financial household decisions. They're becoming more financially savvy. They're making more money. They're joining boardrooms at an increasing rate, the C-suite level at an increasing rate. So there's a lot of um, potential there for women, right? Like I say all the time, man, women are really poised to take center stage in this space. But a lot of times they're like, well, what's next? Like, what do I do? And, and women self-report lower financial confidence in their decision-making and their investment philosophies. So, you know, I, I say investing is, it sounds like such a scary thing for women because they instantly think investing equals risk. And, and women are naturally wired to avoid risk. Uh, we just are. And that's not a bad thing because at the end of the day, what I talk about with my clients all the time is how do we take as little risk as possible to meet the goal? What's the point of taking risks? Just take risk, you know, like that's, that's not the end game here. Um, women also really want to focus less on rate of return. They are much more goal focused. So life event driven, you know, how do I save for education? How do I save for my daughter's wedding? How do I, you know, retire one day? So they are much more life goal focused than just pure rate of return inside of an investment portfolio. To take a first step, I mean, I also really think that investing is a somewhat complex topic. And I think that you need to find someone or somewhere that you can go to that's that's going to give you some trusted advice that's going to get to know you as an individual not just put you into this box of what an investor should look like there are a lot of great resources out there today from a robo advisor perspective you know vanguard schwab all those platforms have really low cost investing opportunities for people um, if you are at a stage where you've just got a few extra you know, hundred dollars every month to spend, I first start if you are you know an employed individual and you have a 401k opportunity, take advantage of free money. Like if your employer is matching, I think that is a must do to at least get some free money from your employer and contribute to your 401k. They are going to have built-in resources for you to, to pick an allocation that meets your potential target retirement date, uh, and it's going to be very low cost. So I think if there's a 401k opportunity, and especially if the employer is matching, it's kind of start there. It comes right out of your paycheck, and you don't even know it. <laughs> um, I love that. So, and I, and I agree with that. And it's actually really interesting where, um, you know, for stacks where, you know, our average salaries are pretty high, I know in organizations that may offer 401k and that people still live paycheck to paycheck that they're sometimes not even able to take out that money out of their 401k. And that is definitely the case for many families in America. But something that I do get surprised by sometimes is like why we don't have 100% or like the, the match rate at our company. And I'm sure there's individual circumstances and in people, but sometimes in the younger, you know, we definitely have a millennial culture and they're not thinking about investing in the long term yet. 
And so we do see sometimes that we have employees that don't utilize the 401k and we have a 4% match against that. So it's literally free money we're putting up for the employees. And that is such an easy way um, when you have an employer. So this is for the working professionals out there. Maximizing the 401k is a must, absolutely a must. And what about the non-working professionals? So entrepreneurs, we've got lots of entrepreneurs in the room. And I remember starting off my business, I put my house up for collateral and had to take a loan against our home. And uh, we put all of our savings into our into my business. And I definitely want to, you know, talk about the entrepreneurs in the room who are literally scrapping to put money into their business. How do we think about uh, our future investment? Obviously, equity into our company is our future investment, but how do you think about that for for entrepreneurs listening? Yeah, so entrepreneurs. Yeah, entrepreneurs, business owners, they are a unique breed for sure. Um, it's who we work with on a, a every single day basis, and, and something that I tell them all the time is. We are never going to compete with your business. Your business is going to be your number one investment. It's going to be your home run. Nothing that we do in the stock market is going to compete with probably the rate of return that you're going to get in your business. Nevertheless, it can be important to diversify away from your business so that not all of your eggs are in one basket, but that you've got some non-correlated assets there. And again, you know, it's, it's going to be so dependent on the individual and where they are in their stage of their entrepreneurial journey. But asset or capital and debt management is a really important function to having a, a healthy financial future for your business. So I think of things like, I mean, right now we, we're in an environment where the, it, the cost of borrowing money is like at an all time low. And so if you can leverage lines of credit from your bank, or uh, if you have a, if you own a home and you've got equity in the home and leveraging those things, um, rather than just pouring your own personal capital into something, I think that's a great strategy to take. From an investment standpoint, again, I would go back to um, finding some low cost uh, mutual funds to invest in. Doing something is better than nothing. Um, but sometimes you're just not at a point where you can invest yet. As, you know, a lot of people for you know the the early startup stages are going to be pouring every dollar back into their business, and that's okay um, because ultimately that business may be the home run. If you're building something to an exit one day and you're selling it, and you're going to have a large liquidity event, hopefully that's going to be what funds the economic engine that's going to fund your retirement one day or whatever whatever that next phase of life looks like. Um, so truly, you know, it's hard to say, like, here's the one thing to do. I think it's important to have some trusted professionals in your life, even at a very early stage in business, people that can give you some unbiased advice that are not in the day-to-day -day grind. You know, it's so hard sometimes to pull yourself out of that um, and, and make good decisions. So I, I think it's really important that you find um a professional, some kind of either business consultant or financial advisor that can consult with you to make the right financial moves for your business and for you personally. I think that's a really important point that you bring up because there's so many things that are just in the unknown, right? I mean, there's really cool apps out there for investing. I, you know, I personally utilize 
Robinhood. We had our Acorns account linked up to our Mint for several years. So even while we were super scrappy entrepreneurs, both my husband and I, we didn't even realize like the pennies, like after a transaction that go into Acorn really did add up. And I remember when we had our first baby, like our little Acorn savings fund was like what we used to go get all of like Mila's room and all of the, the things that we needed for our firstborn. And so I think a little, like getting started in a little does go a long way. Um, but I think the, the main piece of takeaway, um, is really just around getting asking and asking the right experts. And sometimes, I mean, this is so, I mean, I don't want to go ask a dude for a dude's opinion about my money and how I should spend it. Um, I love seeing more women in this space. How can we find more advisors like yourself or how do we go find, like, let's talk about that. How do people go about finding a financial advisor? I didn't even know that I should, like, when do you get a financial? Like, there's so many questions. Like, when do you even get a financial advisor? Is it too early to get a financial advisor? When do you get a financial advisor? And how do you find the right one? Lots of questions. Yeah, lots of questions. Lots of really good questions. I hope that I have good answers too. But uh, I don't think that it's ever too early to find a financial advisor, but I do think that you have to find the right financial advisor because not, not every financial advisor is created equal. Um, and every firm has... Uh, different um, requirements or, you know, barriers of entry of the type of people that they work with. So I think that a good place to start is with friends and family, you know, say, hey, who do you know? Who do you trust? I think referrals are always the best way to go. Anytime I'm looking for a professional relationship, that's where I start is I reach out to my core people and say, I need X. Who do you know in that space? So I think referrals is probably the best way to find an advisor. I think asking the right questions of the advisor when, and I think that you should interview a couple. I don't think you should just take the first one and go with it, but you need to understand what their service offerings are, how they're going to interact with you, how much access do you have to them, or are you interacting with their staff all the time? What kind of fees do they charge? There, there's a whole list of questions I, I'd be happy to share with you. I've got, you know, like a nice little list that I give to people all the time when they ask me these things. I don't have them off the top of my head. But, um, yeah, I think that there's just some good interview questions that you should ask to get to know the type of advisor that you're going to be working with because it's not a cookie-cutter thing. It's just such a tailored individual um, experience that you're going to have. And money is such an emotional topic for people that you need to not only know that they're good and qualified at what they do, but that you're going to have a really good rapport with that person and you feel safe in having those conversations with them. We had an experience recently um, doing kind of like an approach introductory call with somebody who actually lived out in Texas. And we got to this part of our, our, our fact-finding conversation, asking them about how they, what they were doing to plan for education for their children. What were their thoughts and beliefs on that? And they said, you know, I had to pay my way through school. So much, so are my kids. If they want to go to college, they're, they're going to figure it out. They're going to learn how to work and pay that off. And we we're like, okay, great. That sounds wonderful. And moved on to the next thing. And at the end of the conversation, they circled back and said, you know, it was just so refreshing to have this conversation because we have never worked with an advisor before. Every time that they've asked us that education question and we said we didn't want to pay for it, we got judged for not wanting to pay for our kids' education. And so, I mean, it was just such an eye-opening experience that, man, one, one, one size doesn't fit all. And you have to be able to feel secure in having those conversations with, with people. I think that's such solid advice. And just, I love the, the rule of interviewing three. I'm a big rule of three believer in anything, in uh, everything in my life by the rule of three. 
And I do agree with when you're looking for the right person, whatever that person is, professional, at work, things in, like just doing three interviews. And even if you've already like loved one person, but just validating your gut on some of these things can be just helpful in ensuring that you rule out because this relationship is probably one of the most re- important relationships that you have in your life. And I got my financial advisor so much later in my business when I could have gotten started so much earlier. So Bernadette, we will definitely be asking you for that list of questions. And then we're going to link it in our show notes. How can we find you and learn more about your company and your services? And we'd love to support, we'd love to support you. How can we support you? And how can we find you or ask you if the women can reach out and just ask you their burning money question? Of course. Thank you for asking. So you can find us at gambinfinancial.com. That is our website. G-A-N-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, financial.com. Follow us on Instagram at women and wealth. Yes. We're just getting started. um, So we don't have a ton of posts up there yet, but we are really trying to approach our women and wealth initiative through education and advocacy for our clients We're trying to create a different experience here at Gambin Financial Group for not just female clients, for all of our clients, but very specifically targeted around a woman-centric approach to planning for the women that do engage with us. And then we're also creating a built-in professional advisory board for all of our clients to come to the table. So uh, another thing that people don't talk about a lot is the fact that, you know, your advisor is just one person. But if you're doing a really good job of planning holistically, you need to have an estate planning attorney. You need to have somebody who's looking at your taxes. You need to have a banker that you can trust. You need to have, if you're a business owner, um, someone who's maybe auditing your risk profile and looking at, you know, do you have the proper liability coverages in place? What happens if you get sued? Are you structured properly as an entity? You know, you need to have somebody who's really good at helping audit your benefits on a month, on an annual basis and making sure you're providing the best benefits to your staff at the best cost to you as an employer. So we have vetted some strategic relationships in the community of other incredible women in those spaces um, that we're bringing to the table so that, you know, if we have a business owner who has visions of scaling and growing their business, and we know that they're going to be needing to get some kind of line of credit at the bank, if their CPA over here is deducting everything they possibly can off their taxes, they're not going to be able to get that leverage at the bank. So we want everybody talking to each other and understanding the goals of a client. And I think that's going to be a real game changer for us in this space that we're not just investment advisors. We're coming to the table with this built-in advisory board for our clients. And if you already have relationships in those areas, great. If not, we can provide those for you to ensure that um, your personal and business goals are all talking to each other and making the best decisions for you. So Women and Wealth, that's where we're going to be sharing a lot of that content and information on Instagram. Um, and then certainly if anybody wants to reach out to me, happy, like my email is, is free and open for anyone. Bernadette at gambinfinancial.com. Shoot me an email. Happy to have Uh Oh, she just gave us her email ladies. I warned you about the show. There's lots of listeners out there. So email her if you guys have any money questions, she's about to get flooded. Ready, Bernadette? <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. We're good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so excited to continue to talk about this topic. We can't wait to welcome you back. And uh, everyone, thank you so much for listening to today's Wind Down Wednesday at CEO School. And I can't wait to continue to talk more about all the things that we should be talking about, money included. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast and show. 
our team at CEO School works extremely hard to bring you the best content, authentic conversations, and expert guests curated every single week to keep you leveling up in leadership, business, and in life. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating telling us what you enjoy the most. We will be sending CEO School swag for the next 100 reviews, so don't miss out. Write a review and send us a screenshot at podcast at theceoschool.co to claim your swag. Again, it's podcast at theceoschool.co to claim your swag. Thanks so much. We love having you here.